Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the 39A podcast. My name is Amrita Ibrahim and today project 39A will be discussing crime reporting and the news media in India. I'm joined by Dhanya Rajendran, journalist, founder and editor-in-chief of the News Minute and Hartosh Singh Bal, political editor of the Caravan magazine. I teach anthropology at Georgetown University in Washington DC where my areas of research and teaching focus on media, crime and policing. Thanks to both of you for joining us and welcome. So, to start us off, I'd like to give you both a chance to perhaps introduce some of the listeners of this podcast to the world of crime reporting. Many of them might not actually have any idea about how a journalist enters into that world and how they find their stories, how they set up a relationship with police, investigative agencies, forensic institutions, and so on. So perhaps I could ask Dhanya to start by shedding some light on the typical steps by which a news network throws their journalists into what they call the crime beat. Hi Amrita. So in newspapers basically there are def- different beats and reporters are assigned to beats so in my case when i joined a newspaper i was given the crime beat i have no clue why i survived on that beat only for two or three days because um, i realized that crime beat essentially in a in a bureau of a newspaper means you go to the commissioner police commissioner's office or you go to the sp's office and you sit there the entire day they will give you nuggets of what crime has been happening in the city and if one of those interests you then maybe you go to the spot i mean i'm talking about around 16 17 years ago when there was no whatsapp or this kind of messaging where people would just tell you where something is happening and you can immediately rush to a spot so you wait patiently at the police station or at the commissioner's office and get information um i couldn't survive in that beat because i realized that uh, at that point of time at least information was trickling in completely through the police but i don't think things have changed a lot even now uh, for most crime reporters their primary source remains to be the police or the investigative agency it could be the cbi uh, or the nia or whichever is the agency uh, that that they cover in their beat um, mm-hmm. that remains their primary source but these days i do see journalists making that extra effort to go beyond you know the source which is the investigating agency and to look at another angle because the investigating agency after all is going to tell you only their version of the story but their version of the story is not complete in fact it may not even be true most times uh, mm-hmm. therefore there is definitely an effort by journalists these days at least i feel uh, to go beyond uh, that mandate but that's not a very wide phenomenon i feel right uh hartosh you have been uh in the field of reporting and journalism for a really long time and you've really seen um quite a range in terms of the kinds of stories both in investigative and also within you know certain organizations that you've been in where uh stories have either you know made it made absolutely huge headlines and changed how we've thought about crime changed how we've thought about publicity of crime and criminality uh so what do you see that has changed over the course of your career if anything when it comes to crime reporting in india somrita look uh, my experience has Uh, sort of range from i started working with a newspaper as a reporter and while i did not cover the crime beat in a big city like delhi where i did for a certain while of time i was head of the city desk on the d- editing side and the crime reporters were reporting to me 
but i was a district correspondent in towns in punjab for about 2 years ludhiana and jalandhar and crime is a major issue in this areas mm-hmm. and of great interest and then of course i've done weekly and monthly reporting where the nature of stories changes so just to add to what dhanya had said because i experienced personally how you interact with the police in terms of dealing with crime and how you report on these things in these districts and of course you have to build up a network where you are in touch with the police officials the senior police officials maybe briefing but you also build up an informal network within the police which is not at the top level which is at the level of somebody posted in a, a thana somewhere somebody who you got to know because of constant interaction people who would tip you off about something that has happened before it is officially declared may tell you details of the investigation in because of personal interactions that have been built up over a period of time of course there's a give and take they expect that uh, in some cases you would carry stories favorable to the investigations that we are doing but that is incumbent on you how you handle that relationship these informal networks actually form much of the basis for actually reporting crime rather than the official briefings that come with the top level official so this is the whole process of daily news where there is a certain give and take and where the police certainly expects certain things of the reporter in turn as well and it's up to the reporter to guard against it and then you step back and when you are working with a weekly or a monthly organization then you are doing a deep dive a longer look where the daily reporting has already gone past you and then it becomes a different question of working around the story of how you deal with people who are survivors of crimes how you deal with a family uh, and that becomes a different paradigm altogether right so my own field work uh, when i was doing uh, research on uh, with journalists in india uh, about 10 years ago uh, i found this to be one of the most interesting things about crime reporting right which is this personal relationship that you're talking about and um, dhanya and i have spoken previously where you know dhanya you've mentioned that this is also quite a misogynist world uh, where gender plays a very big role in terms of who gets what kinds of stories or you know what kind of access you might have and then also how the story might take shape uh, could you speak to that a little bit well um so first i'll just touch upon what hartosh was saying there is of course the formal channel where the police tell you something on record and there is an informal channel which you build up with a lot of uh, a junior officers or even mm-hmm. for example a station writer or a circle inspector or whoever it is uh, now uh, but the problem here still remains that it is their version right of of a story now for me as a as a as an editor of a website what i started noticing as uh, i started paying more attention to crime copies is that essentially there is a male lens to most of the crime stories being reported from india i can take a few examples the story which i was talking to amrita was about uh, this murder of a man in tamil nadu where all the newspapers had taken an agency copy which said that woman kills her hubby for not being handsome uh therefore the story becomes viral more and more people are sharing it because women are shallow according to them and this woman is sh- more shallow therefore uh, it sort of uh, confirms their biases and so people share the story but call to the police station and a few appointed questions the police will then tell you that uh the woman was against the marriage uh, on the night of the on the first night of the marriage the man tried to force himself on her and therefore she murdered him or at least that's her version of the story 
But in your first story, which has already gone out in your newspaper, you have not asked for the other person's version because you are looking at it with a male lens. So I feel a lot of crime reporting in India. In fact, in some of the huge crime uh, stories which, which Indians have been hooked onto, there's always been that lens. It take any, like for example, uh, Kerala is seeing a lot of dowry uh, harassment deaths recently. Look at how the police have been handling it. When a woman goes to the police station saying that she is being abused for dowry or there is domestic violence, the first instinct of the cop is to basically uh, sort of have a conciliatory meeting, meeting or a compromise meeting between the two families. And uh, he behaves as if both the woman and the man are perpetrators. And even while reporting this, despite uh, you know so much of sensitization, I still feel that many crime reporters do not understand that the police too have to be called out. Or for example, simple stories like a man who's stalking a woman and then kills her. It does not matter if they had a relationship in the past. When the relationship breaks, the man has no business stalking the woman, but when he still does, the newspaper or the website or whatever it is ends up calling him a jilted lover, thereby legitimizing his act of murdering that woman, right? So I feel a lot of crime reporting in India is misogynistic, is patriarchal, and it continues to be so despite uh, people calling out newspapers, websites, television channels, whatever it is. I think this is the thing that sort of underlies all crime reporting and the interest in crime reporting, which is that essentially it seems to be a lens uh, on the moral fabric or the or the ideas of a moral fabric that any uh, society sort of has, right? And it becomes a way to activate uh, a sort of moral policing for the public that is also the the consumers of these uh, of these crime stories um it's something about how the crime both sheds a light on how we think about things like gender and sexuality and you know who has autonomy who has agency of action and things like that and then how also um People might be punished differentially within society or shamed in society differently, depending on how these stories are reported, right? And I'm wondering, I sort of, I, I find myself very intrigued by this question of why on the one hand, there is a great consumption of, you know, true crime stories on the one hand. And on the other hand, there is this question of how do we sensitize reporters or how do we train reporters to try to address the the biases or the stereotypes that these sorts of stories obviously throw up so you know how would you think this could be something that journalism in india could approach like what would be the steps that journalists could take to try to at least educate themselves about these biases and then you know go a step further to try to eliminate those biases from their writing and from their reporting samrita look obviously there is a huge amount of violence if you actually look at how much of the world's population has spent time through the pandemic, look at what was working, what was streaming online. Crime fiction sort of tops the list of what was consumed during this period, and it's true at any other time. And I think all newspaper organizations, media outlets are well aware of the kind of interest that crime generates for obvious reasons. I mean, it is about life, death, emotions, everything that makes us human in some senses. And there is a great deal of interest. But as far as sensitizing reporters to the kind of issues that Dhania was talking about and other issues that come up, whether in terms of dealing with survivors, victims of assaults or following court procedures, I think 
too much onus is placed on individual reporters rather than the institutional framework in which they are working. Right. It, it is for the institution to ensure that the kind of reportage that Dhanya is talking about does not slip through. That if you know that this is the modus under which a newsroom operates, you will find the reporter quickly becoming sensitized to what is happening in the same way that a crime reporter goes out into a world of police persons, which is largely male and has to act in a certain way, which of course closes the door often on female reporters. It is not an easy world to enter, but it is also not always the case. I would point to one of our most important stories, which was the investigation of the death of a judge, Judge Loya, where Nikita Saxena did some of the best stories in terms of the forensics, in terms of the postmortems, dealing with policemen in exactly these situations. So one is how does the reporter conduct herself outside? The second is what does the reporter bring back and how does the newsroom react to it? If over two or three copies, the issue is pointed out to the reporter, if it is made clear that here is where there's a problem, here is where the lens is wrong, this is not what you're doing, this is what we need to do, this is what you are missing out, and this is the kind of prejudice you're bringing in, the reporter learns. And I think the problem in Indian journalism is the failure of institutions to actually do this. So what we are indicting is not just individual journalists, but the very media setup that goes right up the way to editors to let things like this happen and to let them appear in print or on television. Right. Would you say that this is something that perhaps could you date it from a particular moment in Indian journalism? Do you think this is a problem that has perhaps um, always been there? I mean, in my case, what I would say is that I have seen it wherever I've been through the period. Now I've been in journalism for maybe well over 25 years. I've seen it. When I was in the districts, I was looking at the media. Uh, You see a lot of perceptions about crimes are built by the vernacular media in the local cities that we're talking about. We tend to have a very top-down view of this. When you are in a place like Ludhiana or Jalandhar and you're looking at what is influencing people's view of crime and how they're consuming crime, you're looking at the Punjab Kesaris, you're looking at the Ajits, you're looking at the Danik Bhaskars, you're looking at Punjabi, you're looking at Hindi. And this is where you see the issues that I'm talking about are issues of larger structural problems in terms of who is heading these newspapers, the kind of issues they are feeding. And as far as I can see, this was not something that turned at a certain point. Some of the kind of sensationalism that already existed in the vernacular has now also become part of the English media and certainly of television, prime time, where what would be once considered if I may, and I'm only using it as an example of a certain kind of a Hindi newspaper splash, has now become prime time material all over the place in all languages. Right. This is actually uh, the sort of thing that I was investigating in the course of my fieldwork when I was doing research with journalists. And I found that exactly what you're talking about, there is a, a flow from the vernacular or the regional newspapers and not just the newspapers but also just the the informal networks through which information flows that has uh, moved into you know bigger city newspapers and then television networks as well and so there is a there is a sort of ecology if you will of 
how crime stories and stories generally not just crime but the language and the imagery and the the kind of um stickiness if you will that a story is sort of looking for right it depends on the language and the imagery that people are are enticed by or excited by you know up and down the line and you're absolutely right that we have a very top down sort of view of this but the fact is that if we look to these non metropolitan areas where the language and imagery of crime is very different from perhaps or not very different from but is is steeped in or or connected to cultural and social uh, symbols and imagery that is different from say you know a city like delhi or bombay uh, we find some of the clues perhaps for you know where the crime reporting sort of comes from and again you know dhanya and i have spoken about this uh, before about you know what makes a crime story stick is very often the fact that it has a certain sort of um a symbolic value for a particular region where it may not have the same kind of pull or publicity in another area um and so dhanya i'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the kind of thing that you've seen because you have moved from what is sort of you know like a national level channel to uh more sort of regional based reporting and you might have seen these differences uh so if you could speak to that a little bit so couple of things here amrita <clears throat> like hartosh was saying um it is mainly the regional newspapers the regional television channels that people depend on like for example the five states that i cover kannada uh, telugu malayalam tamil these are the uh, the newspapers and the channels and the websites in these languages this is where people uh, primarily consume their news from and uh, in most of these places i think the situation is much worse than what it is in english media especially when it comes to uh, covering crimes or issues related to children and women there are only very few issues in which uh, most of these organizations take a liberal viewpoint for example the me too movement the kind of coverage that uh, tamil media for example gave i think was a huge step back for the movement itself now another thing i would like to bring in is that i personally feel uh, crime reporting and consumption of crime reporting uh, by the general public is no longer from mainstream media they are not reading about crimes from newspapers or uh, television channels but they depending upon youtube channels in fact if you see the consumption of crime uh, stories on youtube channels is really high these are run by private individuals uh, and each video would have like uh, 10 lakh views 30 lakh views and some of this content is so transphobic is so much of against women children i mean you name it the problems are there for example recently there was a case from coimbatore in tamil nadu where a student had died by suicide she had left behind a suicide note uh, blaming her teachers and several others now while covering this it was a huge story for at least 2 3 days all youtube channels put out her pictures her name so there is absolutely no sensitization of uh, what the law says of what are the rules they supposed to follow and the coimbatore police commissioner was uh, forced to give defamation notices to at least 30 youtube channels so we are talking about a world beyond mainstream media itself where crime reporting is happening sometimes these youtube channels are run by uh, former journalists sometimes not i think uh, the organizational sensitization which has to be happening in mainstream media is on one side but if we are going to talk about the damage that is being done by consumption of this kind of voyeurism by the general public i think we should also start addressing what is happening on those channels which are outside the so called mainstream media 
Yeah. So this becomes then a much larger question, of course, which is, you know, to do with not just uh, regulation of specific networks or specific corporations where there are, you know, media corporations, but it becomes this larger question about how do we both talk about and represent, you know, uh, women, children, minorities, you know, LGBTQ communities, etc. And then it's sort of part of the gender struggles that we are all uh, fighting, where then media is but one, uh, you know, one arm within that. Right. Um, and so this raises the question for me, which I'm always I'm always sort of curious to hear what journalists have to say, which is that, you know, of course, it's not just journalism. That is, you know, the problem. It's they're both people within journalism who are trying to do something to make reporting and investigative uh, long form writing better and more accountable and also improve in terms of language and in terms of, you know, how how certain stories are, are, are presented. But also, how do you sort of then go to those institutional uh, issues that both you and Hartosh have raised, which is that how where to begin? Where does one begin correcting the ship or sort of writing the ship, so to speak? Um, how does one start to build... Uh, a better journalism? And then, of course, how does one try to contain, if possible, the damage that these other social media and uh, yeah, digital media networks can can create? Because they can allow for a story to just gallop away and become something completely different because these are, you know, these are algorithmic, um, you know, forces that take a story and make it into all kinds of uh, other forces and effects. Now, we've seen this done very successfully in cases of things like love jihad or, um, you know, even in the case of terror cases where it is these networks that lie outside something like a like a traditional uh, news media format that have created you know vigilante violence or they've created violence against specific communities we saw this in delhi you know in uh, in 2020 so how does one begin addressing what are these clearly really interlinked uh, issues, but also really big issues where violence and uh, the persuasive power of media and all of these things are sort of all linked together. And I recognize that that might be a huge question. So please feel free to break it in any which way you want. So I believe that we need to first deal with what's happening in news organizations, because mostly uh, your YouTube channels and uh, the other players take their cue from uh, media organizations. So how will media organizations deal with it? It has to be systemic. The organization should have its own values. It should have perhaps a style sheet like we at the News Minute, we have a very strict uh, style guide. Uh, and it has to be a continuous process. No reporter or no journalist is going to be with the organization forever. So if someone quits in six months or three years and a new person comes in, it is the organization's responsibility to ensure that every single person working there understands these values, understands that this is a style guide, this is a limit that we will never cross, this is how we will do crime reporting, that, for example, a story like a Riya Chakraborty or an Aryan Khan breaks out, what are the lines that we will not cross, despite the fact that that brings you the most clicks or the views or readership? Uh, how will you look at that story? Are we going to, as an organization, think that you know, malign drug consumption, uh, or uh, do we have a stand on that? 
these are things that every organization has to decide and depending on that every story has to be treated that way uh, but like i said sometimes it becomes difficult for organizations to continuously do it because a new cycle keeps them busy in my own organization i can tell you we we have a strict policy not to name uh, the child or not to name the victim in any crime and also not to name any identifiers for example if a child is, is studying in a specific school but then we had to change that policy because people started asking why don't you name the school why are you not naming the school here how will people know or for example when the school itself is complicit in the crime then how do you leave their name out so then it, it, it there there should be thought process involved are there mm -hmm. cases where you name the school are there cases where you do not name the school so i think every organization needs to be proactive uh, in understanding how they report crimes and also in sensitizing their reporters because i completely agree with harsh those that the onus is on the organization not on individuals mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hartosh, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, because I mean, it's a very large question, and I think some mm -hmm. of it has been addressed by Dhanya. Uh, but you know, as soon as we get into these issues, we move beyond the actual questions of the kind of norms that we have to follow for reporting crime, not identifying victims of a certain kind, be sensitized to what legal proceedings are. Everything that we would normally lay down, we are also looking at why what happens does happen and in india we are in a peculiar situation as far as institutions are concerned how do you operate in an environment where often government itself tends to be a criminal enterprise exactly and i am being rather frank mm -hmm. you are reporting kashmir mm -hmm. you are reporting the anti muslim violence in delhi you are reporting what happened with the farmers in lakhimpur kheti these are crimes Mm -hmm. the government actually wants you to report these crimes in the same sensational way that the vernacular has in a certain voyeuristic slanted fashion which favors the government's version so all the institutional safeguards fail when institutions are rewarded for violating them by the government itself so that is where your institutions tend to start falling apart if they see this happening in these cases they are going to do this in mpk exactly the second is the the proliferation of what dhanya uh, so rightly said of youtube channels uh, twitter handles whatever the individualization of journalism the cult of individuals personalities is actually a huge problem despite what we may think because a youtube channel which is doing this to sensationalize something an individual doing this is actually totally dependent on the police for information when it comes to serious issues what you will find is that it is always the police version that will prevail the sensational twist will be the sensational twist that serves the police well in terms of their own publicity or in terms of going to court whatever it is the and the ability of individuals to resist that kind of pressure is almost impossible if you don't have institutions behind him so i think we are operating in a larger environment where we have this fragmentation of journalism into individuals so we are talking of larger problems and the second is this mm -hmm. we have a government which itself is coming close to a criminal enterprise mm -hmm. caught between these two when we look at crime reporting it sort of exemplifies both these trends that's right i'm so glad actually that you raised the i guess the irony is the irony is a sort of mild way of putting it but here we are it is indeed the case that when one reports on certain kinds of crimes in india 
it is not just that you might also be caught up reporting against a government or very powerful individual specifically within government where the government is or or you know uh, bureaucrats and government are in fact criminal but where also like you said um institutions fall apart because they are rewarded for upholding violence that those you know that government uh, has perpetrated um there's another thing that i have often thought about in the case of you know what co- what counts as crime too right uh, which is also i think what you're sort of uh, pointing to her with that question of you know when the government is itself criminal then you know who says what the crime is and who is you know who is get who is yeah who says what the crime is in there is of course this question of you know when you're reporting on kashmir or when you're reporting on you know anti muslim or anti you know minority uh, violence in in india but there are also things like you know rape or sexual assault what is sexual assault for one party is not for another party right so there was this excellent three part series uh, report that had come out in the hindu sun um some years ago i think that the journalist was um maybe rukmini shrinivasan and she had gone through you know numerous firs where what the what the police had registered as rape was in fact consensual sex between a young woman and her chosen lover but a, not a sanctioned by her parents so she was then forced to go to the police station and register that case as rape right so in that kind of situation it becomes very does it not become very difficult to even talk about what a crime is when in fact what one is looking at is the is the operation of social and in some cases legal norms that are themselves violent and so in that sort of instance what are we even looking at when we're looking at something like crime reporting and how do how should journalists go about um i guess educating themselves on the question of what are we looking at when we're looking at something like you know sexual assault or what are we looking at when we're looking at something like this question of love jihad or uh, terrorism right because the, all of these cases tend to become a question of whose side are you looking at it from and then this you know the question of accountability and being held to some kind of a standard only matters if realized i guess if you have someone who is willing to see that as a problem see the question is who shall monitor or who shall be judge in a country where the government itself has uh, evaded that duty uh, it becomes impossible that all organizations will monitor themselves uh in terms of the kind of sensitization that you're talking about this is almost become a daily problem it has pervaded institutions just talking of questions of sexual assault despite the law and legality being very clear we are looking at a, a country where a certain kind of bias in terms of how you view these crimes is institutional i think we have seen the supreme court recently correct uh some bombay high court judgments on what kind of contact constitutes molestation or harassment mm-hmm. or sexual violence we've seen uh, recently uh, uh, allahabad high court judgment which will definitely go to the supreme court where a sentence has been diluted because oral sex does not mm-hmm. constitute etc so we are talking of a country where 
often in terms of how justice is administered often social norms which are regressive become part of the process in themselves and whatever the law the constitution itself may say they tend to have a huge influence on the outcomes and this pervades not just the legal enforcement system it runs into journalism and the people who consume journalism and who produce journalism in such an environment what we are talking of the kind of restraint and control that we are talking of already is uh, the domain of a minority that must hold up values that are not reasonably seen as desired by a huge part of the country's population and in this if you do not have the backing of a government that tends to believe in these values you are going to see the kind of anarchy that we are seeing with the worst results in areas where the victims are most vulnerable so in gender crimes in crimes against minorities it is here that the bias social bias governmental bias will get reflected in the media most and will get exaggerated i mean doubly victimizing them in some senses uh, as hartosh was speaking about crimes against minorities i think that's a completely uh, different topic altogether that we have to look at more deeply for example uh, i have been speaking about crimes against women and children mostly but crimes mm-hmm. against minorities look in the last few years the the kind of reporting by a section of the media i would say is downright scary uh, and mm-hmm. it does not uh, induce any kind of confidence in these minority in the minority groups to approach these media groups because i mean when a crime happens most times people do approach the media because they believe that they would be part of that fight to get justice right but many media houses Uh, under pressure from the government or even because they agree with the government's ideology and viewpoint they themselves are party to what the government believes in therefore the kind of reporting is so skewed and we are seeing the outcome of that almost every day now and also uh, i think more than the damage which is done by reporting uh, certain crimes against minorities in a certain way more damage is being done by not reporting a lot of this mm mm-hmm. a lot of things that are happening against minorities is being swept under the carpet there is absolutely no conversation about it in a large section of the mainstream media and it remains largely on twitter or on social media or whatsapp platforms and then it it gets skewed in many manner but the fact that the government does control a lot of the media narrative is being reflected quite a bit in crime reporting which includes sensational crimes which includes mm-hmm. crimes against minorities and i i don't think that's going to change anytime soon but there are a few players who are um, you know sort of challenging that status quo which is uh, of course uh, refreshing but that's simply not enough because the larger section of the media is still uh, uh, i would say towing the government's line and sort of remaining quiet on a lot of crimes happening against minorities across the country right I might want to sort of take us towards an end which might not be the most hopeful one but I want to ask this very bold question because given that we we have discussed how in the case of reporting and in the case of being a journalist in India today it is true that the government both at the center and in many states is not um sympathetic to the kind of journalism that both you uh, dhanya and uh, you hartosh have been talking about i would ask this very simply 
do you think it is dangerous to be a journalist in india today look i think uh, it, it's a pretty broad question it also depends on where you are and what you are doing mm-hmm. and i do think if you are in small towns small places or even district headquarters or places like usni and you're taking on powerful people uh there are extreme dangers both from the government and from the individuals who can clamp down you in physically violent ways as well and that's a given and we have examples across certainly the hindi bill dhanya will be able to give other mm-hmm. examples of people being picked up arrested for reporting on various issues in ways that the government or local authorities or local individuals who are powerful do not want but if you talk of journalists for example in places like delhi bombay in the large metros i think that this danger as far as i'm personally course it exists and i think we have got relocation case to sort of cite is that largely exaggerated we institutionally have collapsed before actually the kind of threats that we are anticipating have materialized mm-hmm. i know of very few journalists in delhi who face any actual practical danger in terms of reporting mm-hmm. i have not encountered it uh so i don't think that can be the reason for us not doing it there may be institutional dangers of the government clamping down even those are rare and few examples that they are meant to send a certain message out if we mm-hmm. try and bend down to that message then we have failed in our job so in the end the onus does come back on us as individuals and the institutions that when you raise the question of the kind of journalism i don't think there are kinds of journalism we have a certain it's there can't be kinds of policing or kinds of medicine we have certain norms and certain ways in which we go out right. and report with certain constraints certain set of practices that we must follow the point mm-hmm. is it is up to us to maintain it even if we are in a minority and hope that that example spreads we have to make sure we hold others who are not doing it including other media organizations which is why i think it's important for media to report on other media covering crime mm-hmm. and other issues as well to hold that up to scrutiny and hope that eventually in larger society in terms of the government we have and the people we have that good sense prevails still then we have to keep doing what we can right this is the sort of the watchdog quality of journalism that that i think you know in the early 2000s uh indian media had really sort of taken that to heart uh certainly tehelka had in its early days done that um you know ndtv had done that um and i think that in some ways it may have gone a little bit off you know off the rails in terms of the you know the sting operations and things like that but the idea very much was that with a set of objective values that this is what journalism is good for and that it can hold powerful people to account right with that in mind uh that was sort of like you know the the start of independent journalism in india right like outside of uh, government control and things like that and perhaps it was always in a minority perhaps it has always been a question of being uh, being in a minority but as you say the work has to go on and it's a matter of holding others within the professional field of journalism also accountable and sort of holding them holding their feet to the fire to make them do better 
do you see that as and just some last words here do you see that as something that has perhaps in your smaller fields now because you know dhanya you have uh, you have the news minute that does some really excellent reporting uh, hartosh of course the caravan has you know you made its space in in long form journalism do you see that uh, what would what would you sort of say if you were to take the temperature of these sorts of um uh, organizations here in india in terms of you know being websites or or um, physical magazines you know where do you think the the trend is is are there more more such uh, organizations and people who are willing to to step out and do this work um i think as far as english goes no we are stagnated there um but in languages other than english i do see a glimmer of hope for example malayalam or tamil they do much better journalism than i think the english guys can ever uh, talk about or boast about but um, it of course remains restricted within their states and i think it also depends upon what the politics of the state has been what are the kind of politicians that you have in the state etc and also what kind of governments are in power how you know before this amrita i just want to quickly just agree to one point that hartosh made which you asked him that is it dangerous to be a journalist in india i mean there is some danger while doing journalism uh, there there's some danger while do you, you do certain stories or where your organization does certain stories but i don't think largely it is dangerous to be a journalist for example Uh, mm-hmm. I, i don't i'm sitting in my house now i will go to my office in some time is it dangerous for me to walk on the road no i don't think so i mean okay. there would be some threat specific story or two but that's about it i think the real problem is that a lot of journalists believe that there is a big danger out there and they self censor that mm-hmm. is a big danger i feel to journalism the journalists believing that in the uh, you know that there could be a future threat or there could be a future problem therefore we have to self censor and that future threat or problem can come in different ways it need not be physical threat it can be a threat of defamation it can be a threat that you could find yourself in jail or you know the government or whoever foisting cases against you so that threat of something happening in the future is definitely making a lot of journalists and organizations self censor which i feel is the biggest danger to journalism right so it is having a chilling effect which is sort of it putting both yours and your point and hartosh's point together you know journalists might be over stating the threat to themselves and anticipating those threats and therefore self censoring which is a greater sort of chilling effect which needs to be pushed back against i agree entirely with dhanya on that it's simply i mean we keep hearing that same statement over and over again about the emergency they crawl when they were asked to bend i think in this case right. we are crawling even when we've not been asked to bend I mean, it, it is literally that the fear of being asked to bend is making people crawl, and that's just right. basically a problem with how we are doing our jobs. Right. I think we could wrap it up there. Perhaps thank you both so much for joining me on this podcast and for talking about all of these issues. Um, I think it's a really interesting. state of the field so to speak or state of the profession uh that in in india we are now sort of we've reached a point where we can say that we're not we have done our jobs well as journalists in the past and it's a matter of keeping ourselves honest and keeping ourselves writing and keeping ourselves investigating and just keeping on doing what good journalism is and there's no other way to do it than to just do it um so thank you so much uh both of you for joining 
uh, us on the podcast. Thank you very much, Amrita, for having us. Thank you. Thank you, Amrita. Thank you. Thank you.